Good morning, listeners, and I hope today finds you well. My name is Wilson McCoy with the College Hills Church of Christ here in Lebanon, Tennessee, and I want to say a big thank you for listening in to our weekly radio broadcast. This radio broadcast is one of several options that our church currently offers as ways for you to stay connected in the life of our community of faith. Hopefully, these different options that we currently provide are encouraging and equipping your faith in some way as you begin the week or as you go through the week. If you want to find out more about some of those options, then feel free to go to collegehills.org where you can find out more about our congregation, some of those other offerings such as our on-campus and online offerings, and you can find previously recorded radio broadcasts and pulpit sermons at collegehills.org. As you may or may not know, we are currently moving through a series that we're calling The Divine Invitation. And what we're doing in this series is we're looking at this passage that we read in 2 Peter 1, verses 3 through 11. And we're simply going through that passage word by word, focusing on the different aspects of this divine invitation that Peter offers to the church then and to the church now about what it means for us to be participants in the divine nature. And so today we're going to be reading that passage as we begin today, and then we're going to be focusing in on that first word that Peter mentions, this word that is so often translated goodness. So let's hear this passage and then we'll jump into the lesson for today. His divine power has given us everything needed for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Thus he has given us, through these things, his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may escape from the corruption that is in the world because of lust and may become participants in the divine nature. For this reason, you must make every effort to support your faith with goodness and goodness with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with endurance and endurance with godliness and godliness with mutual affection and mutual affection with love. For if these things are yours and are increasing among you, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For if anyone who lacks these things is short-sighted and blind and is forgetful of the cleansing of past sins, therefore, brothers and sisters, be all the more eager to confirm your call and election. For if you do this, you will never stumble. For in this way, entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be richly provided for you. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for this day that you've given us. We're grateful for this divine invitation that you've given to all of us. And I pray as we move through this series and as we reflect on this particular word today, that you would give me the gift of preaching and teaching, and that you would give us all the gift of open hearts, that we would hear your voice and be transformed more into the image of your Son, Jesus, by the power of your Spirit. Amen.
Many years ago, I lived in a town called Abilene, Texas, as I was doing some graduate work when I was in the equivalent of seminary, spending most of my days in the library in a Bible building on campus and at the small apartment where I live. Those were basically the three places, along with the church where I served, that I was for those four years. And there was a lot of memorable experiences as I lived there and worked there and studied there. And then there were some memorable people who made a particular impression on me. Some teachers that shaped me, yes, in the classroom, but also in other arenas of campus where I would interact with them. And one of those professors was a professor that we lovingly called Dr. C. And Dr. C was a professor who I had for a few different classes. I had him for a Greek readings class in the book of Acts. I had him for a New Testament background class. And I had him for a class called Women in the New Testament. And for the different classes that I had, he was very well-versed in the material that he was teaching us. And there were some similarities that he would always bring into the classroom, even though the topics and the texts were very different from semester to semester. And one of the things that Dr. C would always do whenever he walked into a class was that he would take his black dry erase marker and walk up to the whiteboard. And on the top middle of the dry erase board, he would write this Greek word, arete, which if you were to put that word into English letters, you would spell it A-R-E-T-E, arete. And for the first few weeks of the class that I first took him in, he would write this word and go on with his lecture or begin engaging us in discussion It was almost this opening ritual, so to speak, every time he came into class. And a few weeks into the first class that I had him, I asked him one day, what was going on with that word? What was it that that word meant, and why did he write it on the dry erase board every time he would walk into the classroom? And he went on to explain that this Greek word is this word that in short means excellence. But specifically, it's about an excellence of character. And he went on to explain that this word arete communicated the idea in Greek culture about the excellence of a person in mind, body, and ethics. It communicated this idea of virtue, this virtuous course of thought, feeling, and action, a kind of moral goodness. Someone who is excellent of character and virtue would be a person who embodied arete. And he went on to talk about why he wrote that word up on the board every time he came into a class. Whether it was a Greek readings class or New Testament background or women in the New Testament. He always wanted to have that word in front of us to remind us of why We were doing what we were doing, why we were going to seminary, why we were doing graduate education, why we were furthering ourselves in such a way so that we could become people of moral goodness, become people who were excellent in character. 
He didn't want the classroom to become a place where we just took in a lot of facts through our head and it never shaped our life. He didn't want us to just go through our seminary degree being able to spout off a bunch of facts about Greek and the New Testament backgrounds and women in the New Testament and that not actually shape who we were as people in this classroom trying to become ministers, trying to train to become better ministers. He didn't want us to be the kinds of people who took the courses lightly or passively or indifferently, but he wanted us to not just perform in a certain way, in an excellent way in the classroom, but he also wanted that excellence to carry out into how we lived our lives, where we were virtuous people, where we had character and integrity. And as I had him for more and more classes, and as I listened in on more and more of his lectures, no matter what we were doing or what we were studying, I could always see that Greek word arete right there in the top middle of his dry erase board. I can still see it now in my mind. It's this word that gets used by Peter in this list of virtues that he begins to name to this church that he addresses in 2 Peter 1, where he says, Make every effort to add to your faith a rete, or, as it's often translated, goodness. But the goodness there communicates this idea of moral goodness, goodness of character, of virtue, goodness of integrity that a person can be in the world. And for Peter, after he names faith, add to your faith, the very first thing that he says is add to your faith moral goodness, virtue, character. It's almost as if Peter were writing this Greek word at the top center of the whiteboard before he begins to name all of these other things that should be a part of our lives as men and women who are participants in the divine nature. Now, what's really interesting about this Greek word is that it doesn't get used a lot in the New Testament. In fact, this Greek word, arete, only gets used four times. It gets used in Philippians 4.8, where Paul addresses the church at Philippi, and he writes, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent, arete, or praiseworthy, think about such things. The word gets used in 1 Peter 2, verse 9, where Peter writes, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises, the arete of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And then this word gets used the final two times in the New Testament in our passage today. 2 Peter 1.3, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us 
by his own glory and goodness. Arete. And then 2 Peter 1.5, the verse we just heard. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. Or, as another translation puts it, virtue. Now, a quick survey of these four passages reveals something that is revealed in the two times that it's used in 2 Peter 1, verse 3 and verse 5. In verse 3, Peter is referring to him who called us. More specifically, he's referring to God. That he's referring to Irete first as something that is in the nature of God. It's a part of the nature of God. Another translation puts it, through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For Peter, the first thing that he wants this church then and now to know is that when it comes to this trait of goodness, of excellence, of virtue, it is something of God's character. Which shouldn't surprise us, right? That God is a God of integrity, of wholeness, of unity, of goodness. That God is a virtuous God. That God has moral character. None of that should surprise us that the God that we see in Jesus is a God of integrity and moral goodness. But then, only two verses later, Peter comes back to this word, which gives us a second emphasis on arete, where he says, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. Add to your faith arete. Add to your faith. Supplement your faith with virtue. I think the contrast of these two uses of the word in verse 3 and verse 5 are important for us to pay attention to. Because when we talk about moral goodness, that always starts with the nature and character of God. God is a God of integrity. God is a God of goodness. God is a God of virtue and excellence. But that second dimension of the word, is equally as important and maybe a little bit more scandalous for us to think about. Because God invites us to be participants in the divine nature. And part of that invitation is that we would become people who reflect the moral goodness of God. That we would become people of virtue. That we would become people of character and integrity that reflects that which we meet in Jesus, that reflects that which we meet in the person of God that we know in Jesus. We are called to become participants in the moral goodness and virtue of God. A few weeks ago, I was teaching on this passage and was specifically looking at this word and all of the different meanings that we see as it's used in the New Testament. And we kept using the words as we've used today interchangeably, goodness and virtue and excellence. And an individual raised their hand and she asked the basic question, which was, when you talk about excellence 
I can't help but think of being perfect. Is God calling us to be perfect? And me, confessionally, as a perfectionist, kind of jumped on the question eagerly because I wanted to help her and the rest of the class see that that's not exactly what Peter is getting at. That when we talk about excellence with this word, we're not talking about perfectionism. We're not talking about getting everything right every time we do it. We're not talking about crossing the T's and dotting the I's just perfect. But what we're talking about with this word is something that is more about our inner nature. Or to quote Dallas Willard when talking about Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, deep inner goodness. That when we talk about this idea of a rete, we're talking about something that is being formed on the inside of who we are that's virtuous and good and of God that will inevitably produce fruit on the outside of our lives. Peter is not calling us to be a perfect person. He's calling us to be a certain kind of person. He's not calling us to get everything right or God's going to be upset with us, but he's calling us to walk towards and down this righteous path of integrity, something that we are pursuing. If I were to sum it up in hopefully a memorable way, Peter, with this word, is not talking about perfection, but he's talking about direction. He wants us to walk a certain direction where we are aiming for virtue and character and moral goodness in all that we do. And when we do that, that will shape us to being certain kinds of people in the world. It will produce certain fruit in our lives. We know this to be true today, right? We know when someone that we're interacting with is a person of integrity, a person of character, we talk about that. And are we talking about their external actions? Sure, but we're also talking about something related to their inner nature, that they're striving to do the right thing, the righteous thing, the good thing, the morally right thing. And that when someone is pursuing that path, there's a a ripple effect in their life. There's a wake that they leave. Because we also have met someone or some ones who it feels like they're just going through the motions, they're just ticking the boxes, they're just doing all of the external things, quote-unquote, perfectly or in a right way. But on the inside, they're not people of integrity. It reminds me of that teaching of Jesus where he's talking in the Sermon on the Mount and he'll talk about hypocrites. And when he uses this word hypocrites, what is he talking about? It would have been this ancient word that Jesus would have used to describe play actors, that people in Jesus' day who were going to be putting on a play or a performance, what we would know as actors and actresses, they would do what? In Jesus' day, they would put on a mask, and then they would perform their part. And those individuals were called hypocrites. They were putting on a mask. They were just play acting. And there's a way of going through the religious and righteous life where it's all just a big show, where we become kind of hypocrites. It's all about the externals. 
and nothing happens to our inside. Inside, to quote Jesus, we can still be filled with dead men's bones. That we're like these whitewashed tombs, perfect on the outside, but corrupt on the inside. And Peter using this word at the very beginning, and I think it's significant that it's the very first word that he uses, is he's calling us to inward transformation, inward formation, an inward posture and direction of our heart where no matter what we're doing, no matter what class we're sitting in, no matter what household we may be leading, no matter what our job may be, no matter what our station in life may be, that on the inside, we're pursuing this righteous path. We're trying to be a rete people in the world, morally excellent people. And when we do that, we are living into our purpose as men and women created in the image of God. And I intentionally use that word purpose because of a quote that I read recently regarding this word arete. And the person that I was reading is a guy named Warren Wearsby, and he wrote tons of books on the New Testament. And he has these nice little accessible books called the B series, Be Kind, Be Holy, and he has a number of them. And one of them is a book that is related to 2 Peter, and he starts talking about this term, arete. And this is what he says about it in the ancient Greek world in which, to, in which it was used. He says this, To Greek philosophers, it meant the fulfillment of a thing. When anything in nature fulfills its purpose, that is virtue, that is moral excellence. The word was also used to describe the power of the gods to do heroic deeds. The land that produces crops is excellent because it's fulfilling its purpose. The tool that works correctly is excellent because it's doing what a tool is supposed to do. I love this quote by Wearsby because it reframes so much of what we think about what it means to be Christians or what it means to live according to the purposes of God. And what he is getting at here is to remind us that when we are living with purpose and on purpose, when we are doing what we're supposed to do as men and women created in the image of God, trying to reflect the image of God, the morally good and virtuous nature of God, that when we do that, we're fulfilling our purpose. It takes us all the way back to Genesis, where God calls us, as men and women created in the image of God, to be image bearers in the world. And with that statement in Genesis, we're getting a glimpse into our purpose that runs throughout Scripture. And here we're getting back to that original intention of who we were created to be, that we are to be men and women who live with a purpose. And that purpose is to be image bearers of the God that we see in Jesus. And the God that we see in Jesus is a God who is good, a God who has integrity, a God who has virtue and moral excellence at his very core. And when we reflect 
that God to the world, we are being arete. We are fulfilling our purpose as men and women created in the image of God. About two months ago, I was at a funeral of a family friend. This family friend was a sweet, sweet woman who I grew up with her babysitting me and I played with her kids and she loved me deeply and I loved her deeply. And so it was a a sad day to go to her funeral, but it was an honor that I was able to be one of the pallbearers for her. It was a real honor. And while I was sitting there on the front row listening to two different preachers talk about her story, as is the case so often with funerals, it was this beautiful celebration of her life. But the thing that struck me was not that these preachers were listing off a bunch of her accomplishments at work, although they could have done that. The things that they mentioned about her were things related to how she treated her kids and how she treated strangers and how she treated her husband. That what they highlighted was not her resume of accomplishments, although they could have, but instead they listed those deeper things about her, those deep inner goodness kinds of things about her. And I'm sure that you have had this experience where you're sitting there in a church or in a funeral home listening to the life of someone you love being recounted. And what is so often described is not what the person did, but who they were. Those deep inner traits, those deep inner virtues that really define who a person is. It reminds me of a book I read several years ago by a guy named David Brooks. The book's called The Road to Character. And he makes this contrast that I think a lot about, and I've mentioned it in lessons before, but I think it's such an important and helpful contrast. He talks about resume virtues and eulogy virtues. And he talks about how resume virtues are those skills that you bring to the marketplace, the things that you put on a resume, those work accomplishments that you can brag about and maybe feel good about. But then he talks about eulogy virtues. And those are the ones that are talked about at your funeral. Whether you were kind, brave, honest, faithful. Whether you had integrity. Whether you had compassion. Whether you had virtue and moral goodness. Were you capable of deep love? Resume virtues get a lot of attention in our world, and they're not inherently bad things. But as people of faith, I think it's important for us to also consider that other category, that category of those eulogy virtues. Because when we talk about those, we're talking about the inner essence of a person. And that's what Peter is getting at here. 
the inner essence of who we are as men and women of faith to be a rete people, no matter where we go, no matter what we do, to pursue at our deepest core this path of trying to follow the righteous, virtuous, morally good path that God sets out before us. And if we do that, when it's our turn to get talked about at our funeral, when someone's up there preaching a sermon and celebrating our life, if we try to be those kinds of people now, in that moment, they're going to talk about the deep inner essence of who we are. And Peter says to start pursuing those things now. Make every effort to add to your faith goodness, integrity, moral virtue, deep inner goodness, deep inner righteousness. Because when you do, you will be living according to the purposes of God that God has had for us since the very beginning. Amen.